make sure that I, uh, I should really note that that's just a dramatization. It's not real. Uh, so I assume the actor is okay. Uh, my name is Danny Householder. I'm a pastor here at Hope Ames. I'm so glad that we're here together today. You hear it all the time. Let me say it again. We believe it is no accident that you are here today. We've been praying for you, and it's wonderful to be able to worship with you today. Um, we're a few weeks already into our Can You Relate series. Uh, we are getting to the end of a season, which is kind of crazy. Uh, just, again, want to make sure that we acknowledge all the graduates who are here, whether that's from junior high, high school, uh, college, or if you're just somebody who's moving into a new season of your life. Can we just give God praise for new beginnings? It's cool, right? And uh, part of new beginnings is just this ability to wake up into a new season. Sometimes waking up is difficult in general. We have an alarm clock in our room that looks like this. And the reason why we have an alarm clock that looks like this is because apparently my cell phone is not enough. Uh, My cell phone has the snooze button. This does not have the snooze button. And that forces me to get out of the bed. I think about Ephesians uh, in this verse that Paul writes uh, to, next screen please, there we go, you're already ahead of me. Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead and Christ will give you light. The Bible's telling you, you're meant to wake up. You're not supposed to sleep forever. I think one of the worst inventions in human history is the snooze button. I seriously think somebody pitched that idea by saying, here, let's go ahead and make a device that repeats the worst part of your day over and over again every nine minutes. Think about what happens in your head every single time that the snooze button goes off. The first time it goes off and you start to think, you know, I guess I don't have to start my day with an exercise. The next time the snooze button goes off, I don't really need a huge breakfast. The next time the snooze button goes off, oh, I mean, I showered last night. I don't have to shower again. I'm not an animal, for goodness sake. The fourth time the snooze button goes off, like, do I really need a job? I mean, I could just go live in the wilderness in a cave, live off the land. It'd be fine. And by the fifth time that your snooze button's going off and you're dreaming about living in that wilderness, you're freaking out because you're late for work and you've got to go. Man, it's time to wake up, right? we got to wake up. And today I want to talk about waking up, but I'm not just talking about waking up and fighting the snooze button. I'm talking about a deeper sense of waking up. I'm talking about waking up for our spirits, for our souls. I'm talking about waking up into that season of life, into that new beginning, into that new life, a new life of contentment, a new life of fullness, a new life of purpose, a new life. Oftentimes, the thing that stops us from waking up in the morning is we cannot think about, how am I going to get through this day? How am I going to get through this day? And maybe we need to back up for a second. Instead of asking, how am I going to get through this day? We should just ask, God, why have you created me to exist on this day? Why have you created this, exi- this, this day for me, for my existence? Why am I here? There's a psychologist, a psychiatrist, and neurologist who said this. This is Viktor Frankl. You might have heard of him before. He wrote one of the most famous books of all time called Man's Search for Meaning. Those who have a why to live can bear with almost any how. This is Viktor Frankl, neurologist, psychiatrist, oh, by the way, Holocaust survivor. He knows a thing or two about being able to get through the day. He said one of the things that he noticed in the concentration camps is the people who turned into heroes were the ones who still found the why. They didn't start the day with asking the question of how am I going to get through this, but why am I here? Believing that there was something that the Nazis could not take away from them. Believing that there was something in their heart, something that gave them life. I had a mentor in my life when I was graduating college and going into seminary, and I was getting pretty worked up and nervous about the hows of life, and he said this to me, and he, because he's the one who introduced that quote by Viktor Frankl to me, and he said, wait to figure out how until God tells you why. We have to start our life with the Why? We can't immediately go into the how. If you want to wake up and get through this day and actually thrive in it 
and actually be full in it and actually have a meaningful, purposeful life in the day. Don't so much focus on the how. Think about the why first. We need this. The why is the hope, right? I mean, the how is practical. The how gets things done. But the why is the hope. And we're living in a world that is really struggling to find hope these days. That's tough, isn't it? We're living in a world where people are having a hard time getting out of bed. I've heard someone say before that depression is like living a life that's on mute. You're there, you're moving, but everything's just kind of turned down and it's hard. One of the symptoms of depression is this inability to get out of bed. There's no why, there's no purpose. And I believe that God in the scripture today is telling us, I have a why for you. I have a why for you that will give you meaning, the ability, the strength to get through any how. We're searching for hope, for hope in this world. I saw uh, CBS News came out with a study and they said that less than half of people today feel hopeful about the future. 43% of people today feel hopeful about the future. What's really interesting to me about that is that statistic, that percentage is lower than it was two years ago in some of the worst parts of the pandemic. Turns out football games and restaurants and what have you for things that we could attend in person, those things weren't going to do it for us. Those weren't the things that were going to give us hope. Those weren't the things that were going to help us wake up. Those weren't the things that were going to give us life. We need hope. We need the why. If I could define hope in a really simple way, hope is not necessarily telling you that everything right now is going to be just fine and exactly how I want it to be. Hope is accepting the fact that I cannot control my present. But hope is assurance that there is a meaningful future despite the eventual outcome of my present circumstances. Hope is the assurance in a meaningful future, despite the outcome of my present circumstances. You have this hope that's given to you. In the Bible reading today, there's a group of people who are struggling with hope. They felt entirely hopeless. The prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel uh, was a prophet and a priest who was living in Babylon. He wasn't supposed to be living in Babylon, but he was a part of God's people. He was a part of Israel that were exiled into Babylon. They were taken away from their home. Now, why were they exiled? Why were they living there? God had given the people of Israel a gift. The biggest gift that God had given Israel, God's people, is he said, I'm going to bring salvation through you. But I'm the holder of this gift. And so if you want to receive this gift, you do it through me. But of course, like all people, including you and me, we, we turn away from God. And so this gift is something that we don't receive anymore because we're facing the other way. Sin is not this big, complicated list of things that you can't do. It's very simple. It's when I think that I know better than God. It's when I'm listening to other voices other than God that are trying to tell me that God's gift isn't good enough. And God said to the people of Israel, this is your gift. This is good enough. And so the people of Israel, they are sent into exile. And Ezekiel, who was about 30 years old when he started prophesying, he is tasked with giving the people of Israel who have been taken away from their home, who have been taken away from their culture, whose entire nation is dying out. He is, tasked with the, he is tasked with the task of giving them hope. And it can't just be this flimsy kind of optimism, this blind faith that just tells people, you know what, everything is going to be okay. Because if he said that to these people, they could look around and say, everything is not okay. He is given an incredibly difficult task. He's given the task of giving people hope, real hope, assurance for a meaningful future, despite the outcome of the present circumstances. This is Ezekiel's job. 
Ezekiel gets a lot of different crazy visions out of all the Old Testament books. I think this is the craziest one. There's one part in the book of Ezekiel where he's laying down for hundreds of days because God said, this is how I'm going to prophesy through you. I wonder how many bed aches this guy had, especially since they didn't have mattresses back then. Hundreds of days. But at the end of the hundreds of days, God said to Ezekiel, wake up, stand up, rise. And he did. And this is the task that Ezekiel is, is, is called to, to live out for Israel. Tell them to wake up. Tell them to live. Tell them to have hope. Tell them I'm going to give them life again. It says that he was carried by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. They were scattered, completely dried out. Ezekiel is taken to a graveyard, but this isn't just any graveyard. This wasn't a graveyard that honored the dead. This was a graveyard that despised the dead. This was a graveyard that cursed the lives that belonged to those bones because they weren't even buried. They weren't even respected in their death. They were just left to dry out. These aren't bones that were just left there the day before. These aren't juicy bones with still some stuff on them. No, animals aren't going to these bones anymore. These are dry, withering away bones. In Ezekiel, this 30-year-old prophet, all he has to do is think back a few years and remember what was it like for this army, this nation of God, to turn away from the giver of the gift. And they suffered. And they died out. And they were ridiculed. And they were oppressed. And they were exiled. I wonder how many flashbacks he's having to one of the most horrific moments in his life. They were scattered and they were completely dried out. The bones say to Ezekiel through this vision that the Lord gave him, we became old, or we've become old, dry bones. All hope is gone. We're hopeless. Our nation is finished. It's done. Now, very quickly, I think it's easy to see, okay, I get it. I'm not ancient Israel, but we can understand in some ways, maybe not to this extreme, but in some ways, you might know what it feels like to have hope taken away from you. You might know what it feels like to feel like your culture, your nation, your family, your group, your identity, whatever it might be, is finished. It's done. It's dying out. It's hopeless. There is no future. But God comes to us through the prophet Ezekiel, but also through his word today to say, I am giving you the assurance of a meaningful future. Do not focus so much on the outcomes of your current circumstances. Have trust in me. Have trust in me. We know that this is what God wants because God asks Ezekiel, he says, do you believe that these bones can become living people again? Do you believe that they become living people again? Now, keep in mind, this is beyond the point of resuscitation, right? Ezekiel can't go up to a body and perform CPR and bring them back to life. That's not going to happen in this situation. These are dry, dead bones. How would you answer if your entire life has been disappointment? How would you answer if you've gotten to a place in your life where you don't want to get out of bed in the morning, you'd rather just hear the snooze button, the alarm blaring into your ears over and again because it's better than having to face the hows of the day. How would you answer? And I love how authentic and real God's word is. Ezekiel does not answer with blind optimism. He doesn't answer with false knowledge. He doesn't answer with some sort of facade to say, I got to figure it out. Instead, he says, God, you alone know the answer to that. I don't know. You're God. You can, but my life is making me question if you will. I don't have the answer. One of, one of, the, the, one of the, the, um, lies that we believe about faith and about Christianity is that we have to have the answers. 
When was the last time that you were in a conversation with somebody about your faith and it just stopped because you didn't have an answer for something? You're like, oh no, when was the last time you stopped talking to somebody about your faith or you didn't even start that conversation about your faith because you didn't have an answer? Having faith does not mean that you're going to have the answers. Having hope does not mean that you have the answers of your current circumstances. Instead, it's just simply you have an assurance of a meaningful future. And so for the remainder of this sermon, I want to talk about receiving real hope. What does it mean to receive hope? And the first thing that we can do is we receive truth. We receive truth. Next slide. And when we receive truth, it comes from hearing the word of the Lord. Hope means holding on to truth. And truth is the word of the Lord. Now, what's, what's the opposite of truth? What's the opposite of the Lord? Well, in the book of Ezekiel, it seems like God is calling the opposite of his word of his truth idolatry. From the beginning of the book, what it says that God is really upset with Israel about is their idolatry. And what do you think idolatry is? I wonder what they thought idolatry was. Oftentimes when we think idolatry, we think it's just like this little statue, right? Just this tiny little thing. But the truth is, is idolatry is it's much broader than that. Idolatry is simply believing a life lie. Do you know what a life lie is? A life lie is believing that there is something other than God that's going to satisfy your life. A life lie is believing that there is something out there that's going to make you complete. A life lie is believing that there is something that is in this world, made by this world, and limited to this world that's going to make you feel like your life is meaningful. It's a life lie. Look at the images on the screen. It's a little dark there, but in the top you see there's somebody who's supposed to have a phone, right? So I mean, like, what are you idolizing? Is it just that new gadget that you might get? Is it the trips? Is it the travel? Is it the stadiums? Is it the team? Is it the fame? Is it the honors? The glory? Is it the money? Is it the house and the possessions? Is it the way that you look? Is it a number that's on the scale? Any one of these things can be an idol. Any one of these things can be an idol. It's believing the life lie. But the truth, the truth comes from the real God. Idolatry is simply believing a life lie. But God wants you to hear his word. God wants you to hear the truth. It comes from the word of the Lord. God says this to Ezekiel. He says, I want you to prophesy this to these dry bones. Dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. You remember singing that this morning. Listen to the word of the Lord. I'm going to put breath into you and make you live again. Now, just like today, there are people who would hear that in those days, especially after the circumstances they had been living in, who say, yeah, right. In fact, there was an old proverb that people were beginning to say, and it quotes this in Ezekiel chapter 12. It says, there is an old proverb You've heard the old proverb that's, that they quote in Israel. Time passes and prophecies come to nothing. Anybody here given up on the promises of God? Anybody here feel like it's taken too long? Good news. You're not alone in that. But God says, I will put an end to this proverb. For I am the Lord. If I say it, it will happen. I'm asking you not to hear a preacher say that this morning. I didn't come up with these words. This is from the word of God. Hear the word of the Lord. If God said it, it will happen. There are some things God did not promise, but there is certainly one thing that he did promise. It is that you can have assurance that you have a meaningful future. It does not promise you that there's a certain outcome to your, to your current circumstances, but it absolutely means that there is a meaningful future ahead of you. 
No wonder Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 can say with such confidence, then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. He's quoting an Old Testament scripture saying, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And we hear that and we think, wow, it's very eloquent, Paul, nice. But Paul's actually kind of giving a na 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 boo boo type mock chant. I mean, if you look at it in the Greek, that's really what he's doing. He's like, death, ha, smite me with all your might. It's not simply this Lion King theology that says, you know, death isn't really that big of a deal because you see, we eat the antelopes and someday we'll die and become fertilizer and the antelopes will eat the, will eat the grass that we fertilize. So take hope, you're fertilizer. How disappointing. Sometimes the fertilizer in my lawn doesn't work. What if the antelopes come up to my grass and they say, I'll pass. <laughs> it's deeper than that. It's real. It's come on, death. Give me your best shot. The more you smite me, the more glory I receive. Enduring you only brings me closer to my creator. Listen, in Christianity, we don't, um, we don't fake it. You got to be real about it. Um, I get to go into a lot of hospital rooms with people who are nearing the end of their life. Sometimes they're younger, sometimes they're older. And in each of those rooms, I would say that everybody's aware this isn't right. I think you know it too. Circle of life theology isn't, it's not real. It certainly doesn't satisfy the soul. When someone comes to the end of their life, they know it's not natural. And I think that sometimes when we think about an older person dying, like, oh, well, they must be at such peace. They had this long and, and full life. I visited with people in the hospital in their 90s who are just hanging on by a thread. They're almost done, and they've said to me, I don't want to do this. I don't want to. Now, in some circumstances, yeah, people say, I'm ready, and that's, that's wonderful. People of faith will tell me, I don't want to do this. This isn't right. It's okay to admit that. Because in admitting that, we're speaking the words from our soul that say, I was not made for death. You were not made to be a dry bone. This is the word of the Lord. You will live again. Do not believe the lies. This is the word of the Lord. The life lies tell us, grab onto everything that you can in this world because once it's gone, it's over. So be happy today because you're not promised tomorrow. But the truth, the word of the Lord says, these bones will live again. Living hope, you receive truth, you hear the word of the Lord, but the second thing is you are inspired. When you're inspired, you're filled with God's breath. Inspired, it's an English word that comes from being in-spirited. There's a spirit inside of you. And spirit shows up in the Bible too. In the Old Testament, it's a word called ruach. Would you all say ruach? ruach. Wipe the person off in front of you. I've used that joke three times now. I'll never get old. It's breath. And breath literally means spirit. It's, it's God's spirit. The word for God's spirit is breath. It's the air around us that fills our lungs and comes out of our life, our, our life source, right? Our lungs. It says this in Ezekiel chapter 37 that God spoke through the prophet Isaiah and the bones began to, to rattle, but they still had no breath in them. They were alive. They were moving. They were functional, but, but they're not like, living. 
They're not living. So then God says, okay, let's go ahead and push this prophecy even more. I've got more for you. You're not just going to live in a way where you exist. You are going to live in a way where you thrive. And so Ezekiel, prophesy this to the bones now. Come, O breath, from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so that they may live again. When God's spirit enters you, you are not designed just to be a functional human being who is up and awake and moving. You are, in, you are designed to be an inspired being, living with his spirit inside of you. Do you know the difference between functional and inspired? The difference between functional and inspired, it's the difference between just simply staring at the ceiling and I'm awake, I'm breathing, and getting up and believing I have meaning in this life today. God did not create you to be a functional being. God created you to have a, an inspired spirit inside of you. No matter how functional or unfunctional you think you are, you get to have the spirit of God living inside of you. Let me really parse this out. Functional. Here's what functional is. Functional focuses on results. Functional focuses on comparison. Functional focuses on control over yourself and over the people around you. Do you want to know if you're not really living do you want to know if you're not really satisfied, if you're not really content? I think one good way of testing that out is asking, am I just trying to force myself to do everything in life? Is everything just such a grind? I don't even like anything that I do. I'm not even moved to do anything. I just do it because I have to. And then I also try to get other people to do everything, not because it gives them life, but because I think they have to. Are you controlling people? This illustration, this functional idea of life, is functional versus inspired way of life has, has been popping in my mind lately because Abby and I, we, we've expanded our family. Um, and rather than show you a picture of our new family member, I, I want to actually show you our new family member. Where, where is this guy at? So everybody, this is Denver. Hi, everybody. My name's Denver. I live with this guy. Unfortunately, his wife is great. Abby's awesome. I like to eat, sleep, and go to the bathroom. Denver and I are learning a lot together. I am learning uh, grace, forgiveness, and patience. He is learning deception. Aren't you? <laughs> I thought you were potty trained, but that doesn't happen after 12 weeks, does it? Oh. But I notice sometimes I'm trying to just control him, right? That's not good, is it? Sometimes I'm, I'm just, oh, I know, I know, I know. Here. I know. Well, here, you know what? How about, how about I give you a treat, right? Oh, boy, I didn't think through this all the way, did I? Hey, Denver, look at that, look at that. You want a treat? Oh, good boy. So sometimes I, then I'm like comparing him. Yesterday we were at the farmer's market, and we were at the farmer's market with a puppy. Everybody wants to talk to you. It's amazing. I, I, people didn't not like me. We just didn't have a puppy. And there was one woman who came up and she said, oh, I had a golden retriever for 14 years. I'm like, oh, that's so awesome. And she's like, her name was Luna. She went to the bathroom once in the house her entire life. I'm like, yeah, well, Denver makes big stinkies. <laughs> we have a veterinarian who lives in our neighborhood, and we're so lucky. Across the street, we have a vet tech and a veterinarian. Like, how lucky are we, right? Um, and neighbors who will babysit him. It's amazing. You're the best. And uh, I was talking to the vet, and I'm like, hey, I don't, I don't know much about having dogs, clearly. <laughs> um, I said, you got, you got any... <laughs> I was like, you got any advice for me? And she said, the best advice I can give you is don't try to control him, love him. And I was like, I'm going to preach that. 
Are you trying to control people or are you loving people? A functional life focuses on results, comparisons, and control over yourself and over other people. But an inspired life is one that is alive, full, content, and one that is full of love. And I love you so much. And I love you so much that I'm going to stop trying to control you. And I'm going to let you go have fun backstage again. Everybody say, bye, Denver. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> he's the best. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe he's our dog. Um, I think that we know that we've fallen away from transformational, life-changing Christianity when we've stopped loving people and instead we're controlling people. Life-changing, transformational Christianity loves people. A toxic form of religion tries to control people. I get it. There are a lot of things that are broken about this world. Do you want to know a secret about the brokenness in this world? You can't control it. But God's called you to be a part of the rebuilding, the restoring, the reconciling of this world. And how do you do it? Is it by fighting people? Is it by controlling people, focusing on their results and yours? No, Jesus said, here's my command to you. Love people. Don't just be a functional being. Be an inspired person. An inspired child of God. It says this in Ezekiel chapter 36. I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. It says that in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 through 28. I will give you a new heart, a heart that is tender and full. So here's the message, Ezekiel, that I want you to give these bones. I want you to tell them to live again. And the bones start to rattle, but they're not inspired yet. And so in Ezekiel, I want you to tell them, go ahead and put a new spirit in them. And then check this out. It actually happens. I spoke the message as he commanded to me and their breath and breath came into their bodies. They all came to life and stood up on their feet. It was a great army. They can't, the breath came into their lives. You know that you've come alive. When your body breathes in the Spirit and breathes out the Spirit, the name for God in the Bible is Yahweh. And the reason why it is Yahweh is because when you say Yahweh, it's actually supposed to symbolize what it means and what it sounds like to breathe in and breathe out. When you are breathing, you are receiving and professing the Word of God. You can't help it. But what if we became aware of it? What if we became aware of the God's spirit living inside of us just simply by breathing? We might come alive in a whole new way. We come alive by receiving hope and having our hope revived by receiving the truth, by being inspired, but then finally, we believe. And to believe is, is to wake up. It's not necessarily to know what is coming your way. It's not to know the outcomes of your current circumstances, but instead, it is to simply be assured that, is, that there is a meaningful future ahead of you. In Ezekiel chapter 37, at the end of this passage, it says, I will put my spirit in you and you will live again and return home to your own land. I'm not forgetting about you. I won't leave you out in the wilderness. Then you will know. And a paraphrase for what it's saying here, then you will know is, then you will believe. You will have a belief that is so strong and so assured, not because of the work that you did, but because of what you're seeing God do. The transformation and restoration that you see through the work of God, through the love of God, not through the misguided controlling of people, then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken 
and I've done what I've said. Do you know that God's not asking you to prove yourself to him? God does not have to do this, but God is constantly and consistently proving himself to his people. He says it to Ezekiel. I don't expect you to know everything about me yet. I don't even expect you to trust me yet. But you will trust me when you see what I've done. Hear the truth. Be inspired. And then believe based off of what you've seen. Get out of the bed. There is assurance for a meaningful future. You might be surprised when you receive the why that there's a hope that I've created you to exist on purpose and for a purpose. You will find that you actually can live through this day. You actually can live through this day. You actually can have a meaningful future. Even if all of the outcomes of our, of our current circumstances are washed away and broken and fall apart. God says, I will show you. You will know based from what you see. I get it. The greatest faith that we have, the greatest faith that we have is when we don't have to see it, right? Like when we walk into situations and it's dark and we get there, you were there, it's amazing. It's like this great extra feel of joy, right? But I think that God's gracious enough to us to allow us to experience just relief too. You know, God, I don't know. And so I'm going to say, you know, but I don't know, but you know. So when you ask me, do I believe this is going to happen? I'm just going to say, I don't know, but you do. So I'm going to walk into it. That's all faith is. That's all faith is. Just taking that step. I don't know the future, but I know the God who does. And I know that he loves me. I know that he loves me. I'll close by sharing this story of a priest. His name is Maximilian Kolbe. And he was a priest during World War II. Because he spoke out against the Nazis, he was arrested and brought into a concentration camp. One day in the concentration camp, a prisoner tried to run away. And to try to prove to everybody in the concentration camp that they should never do this, or they would suffer the wrath, they decided to take 10 of the prisoners and bring them into a chamber where they would not be fed or given water. They would be left to starve. As they were randomly selecting the prisoners, one man gets selected and he breaks down and he starts to cry. He says, I have a wife, I have children. What will they do? Maximilian Colby, a priest, he wasn't married, he didn't have children. He stepped forward, he walked up to one of the guards and he said, take me instead. Take me instead. And the reports say that as people listened to the prisoners dying, it was a different kind of experience than they'd ever experienced before. They didn't hear shrieks and they didn't hear groans. Instead, they heard Maximilian leading the other nine prisoners in this chamber singing hymns and songs of praise. Maximilian was the last one living. And as he died, by lethal injection, because he just wouldn't die, he lifted a hand and he blessed the people who were killing him. He had a hope that no one could take from him. That is an extreme circumstance, but the same hope is available to you. The same hope is available to you. Because Maximilian did that for the men who were standing in front of him, who were killing him. He did that as a blessing to the man and to his family whose place he took. But Jesus did it for all of humanity. 
for all of humanity. He's on the cross and with outstretched arms, he blesses the world and says, I've not come to curse you, I've come to save you. I've not come to control you, I've come to love you. I've not come to make you functional, I've come to inspire you. I've come to breathe on you. And in John chapter 20, after he has risen from the dead, says he is with his disciples and he breathed on them. He inspired them. And it wasn't just some sort of emotional roller coaster sort of inspiration. No, he died. And he came back to life to say, you have a hope. You have a meaningful future that no one can take from you. Even death itself cannot take this meaningful future away from you. You have assurance in this. And as he breathed on them, he said, receive the Holy Spirit. No one will take this from you. No one gets to take God from you. No one gets to take his love from you. No one gets to take his assurance from you. No one gets to take his peace from you. No one gets to take his hope away from you. Come on, have your hope revived. Come back to life. Be like the people of Israel. Flawed, broken, really messed up, weak, incapable. But they heard the word of the Lord. They were inspired and they believed. And despite their brokenness, God still fulfilled his promise to bring salvation through them. And now you are the people of God. We are the people of God. Breathe in God. Breathe out God. Let your life be a testimony of the word of the Lord. Let's close today just by breathing in God's presence. Ready? Breathe them out. Let's do it again. Breathe in. Breathe out. For some of you, that's the slowest you've breathed in months. Stop focusing on being so functional. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Live an inspired life that's moved and transformed by the love of God that it might pour through you and transform and move others through his love. You're going to live. God said to the dry bones, stand up. And today I, I get to say to us, let, let's stand on up. Let's sing. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Amen.